This film is lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian. I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. Look, some of us are lazy, all right? If by lazy you mean wrong. Prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide whether the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers. Because guess what? This film is lit. A thrilling family romp with dinosaurs, ancient civilizations, and problematic love stories. It's Night at the Museum, and this film is lit. Welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. We have finished Harry Potter. We're not going to talk about it for a while. We're in our Christmas-adjacent episodes. One is going to be a Christmas episode, our next one. This one is Christmas-adjacent because the movie takes place during winter. It snows. (laughs) It snows. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, and also it was a nice short... uh, This is a kid's book, The Night at the Museum. It's a kid's book, so it was nice, easy uh, sort of vacation for you amidst finals week and all this that is going on. It's a nice quick read as opposed to the Harry Potter books that we've been churning through for the last several months which were not quick reads no not quick reads not the last ones anyway no uh, quite long so it was a nice little reprieve from reading a lot for you we thought it would be fun and i had never seen the movie before so we're gonna get into our first segment for our normal series the not again the harry potter episodes were different uh which is let me sum up let me explain no there is too much let me sum up is there even a summary to be had for this it's a kid's book I mean, yeah, I can give it a, a couple sentences. Can I just close my ears and hum? Yeah, you can just. I don't, I don't I know can't if hear you, you should hum because the microphone well, I'll hum will pick away it up. From the mic. A recently hired night guard at a museum uh, falls asleep on the job and wakes up to discover that the dinosaur bones are missing. He goes on to find out from the other guards that everything in the museum comes to life at night and stretches their legs. As he searches for the dinosaur bones, um, he walks throughout the museum performing different tasks in the different exhibits and finally finds the dinosaurs um, playing hide and seek. All right. I didn't hear any of that. Uh, because we like to keep it at the surprises. I'm going to ask her questions about what's in the book and all that sort of stuff. So it's better if I don't hear the summary for the book. Now I'm going to do my movie summary. If you have not seen Night at the Museum, there will be spoilers. Not anything major here, but throughout the episode, there will be spoilers. So you've been warned. Larry, played by Ben Stiller, is a divorced father who needs to find a sustainable job in order to provide, in order to provide stability for his son. A temp agency sends him to the Museum of Natural History for a night guard position. Upon arriving, he's giving a very brief orientation by the old guards who are being forced to retire. During his first night, he quickly realizes the museum has a secret. The exhibits all come to life every night. These living exhibits require no small amount of work to keep them from destroying the museum 
and themselves. Larry considers quitting, but decides to stick something out for the first time in his life to prove to himself, his son, and Teddy Roosevelt that he's a man of character. Yeah, that about hit. <laughs> so that's that's the movie, basically. We're gonna get into. Wait, we don't have a guess who because it's a kid. No. No, it's a picture book. So no I mean, guess I could, who. I could try to do some side by sides no. again, but they wouldn't be very exciting. Yeah. Um, so normally we would do guess who as our first segment, where Katie would read a character description from the book, and then I would guess which character from the movie that is. Obviously. As a picture book, that's not quite so easy to do. Uh, and we obviously didn't do it for the Harry Potter series because we had a whole different format. But that would normally be our first segment, so let's get into our actual first segment. Was that in the book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? Was that in the book? This is where I, the movie watcher, takes notes during the movie and asks Katie... Whether or not that thing is from the book or something they created for the film. Usually this is pretty interesting. A lot of times with these kids books, almost everything <laughs> is manufactured for the film other than like yeah. the general idea. Mm -hmm. So uh, I have a feeling a lot of these won't be in the book. But we're going to see. We're going to see if everything was added for the film or not. First one. Any of Ben Stiller's story. Um, the Larry story. No. Okay. Um, the set, the story does center around a recently hired night guard. Okay. And his name is Larry. Okay. Um, but he doesn't have any backstory. There's no to story speak with of. his kid or yeah. his ex-wife and any of that sort of thing. Nope. Okay. That's kind of what I figured. That's felt very obvious to me that that was all mm -hmm. drama added for this for the film, and that the story was going to be a very simple night guard, maybe even new night guard at a museum. Everything comes to life. Deal with it. Pretty much. Like, that's yeah. kind of what I figured. Okay. The three old night guards, the, the guys who teach him the ropes, are they like the older guards who teach the new guy the ropes? Um, There are other guards okay. in the story. There are quite a lot more guards really? than there are in the movie. Um, But they don't have names or, like, the same roles that the three old guards do gotcha. in the movie. Gotcha. Okay. Is there a giant walking... Uh, T-Rex skeleton. Yes, there is. Is okay. Does it like to play fetch? No, not fetch. Okay. What, does it like to do something else specific um, or? Uh, <laughs> it plays hide and seek. Oh, it plays hide and seek. I think fetch is a good change. We'll talk about it, but fetch makes sense because it's like a big dog. So De uh, not Dexter, whatever the Rex. Just call him Rex, I think, mm -hmm. which makes sense. Was there an instruction manual for the the guard no. about the different things to do how to take care of the museum no there's not <laughs> no instruction man i've again that felt very obviously like an added thing to me but i wasn't sure so i figured i'd check is there an adorable evil monkey um there are a couple pictures of monkeys but there's not a monkey character there's not a monkey that torments larry no okay he doesn't steal his keys or doesn't anything. Steal his keys or bite him or slap him. Or have pee a, on him. Have an extended slap fight. Yeah, no. That not was in interesting. The book. Okay. Uh, is there a Gulliver's Travels ripoff where, the, not. where the Lilliputians <laughs> tie uh, Ben Stiller, not Lilliputians, but the in the diorama room? Yeah, the little miniatures. The little miniature cowboy uh, and um, the railway, like the it's like the Western Expansion Railway mm -hmm. scene. They tie. Ben Stiller down with ropes, and it's very clearly Gulliver's Travels yeah. with the Lilliputians. 
But so they added that from the to just for the movie, very clearly mm-hmm. drawing from Goldberg Travels. Okay, not in the book. Teddy Roosevelt. No. There's no Teddy Roosevelt There's no in the Teddy book. Roosevelt. That's such a kind of an important character in the movie. I know. It's like a main character. There are actually very few human museum exhibits. I had a feeling. In the book. Um, he does meet Lewis and Clark. Oh, okay. In the book. Um, but it's mostly dinosaurs and animals. Yeah. Well, it is the Museum with. of Natural History, which, mm-hmm. I, again, yeah, yeah, they, they generally include um, anthropology within that, but it's, yeah, a lot more yeah. animals and stuff makes sense. Yeah. Is there, do we get a reason why all the things come to life in the book? Because in the movie, we find out that the reason all of the creatures, all of the exhibits come to life is that in the 30s or 50s, I think. the 50s, I think. A golden tablet of Ahun-Ra came to the museum, and that is what brings the exhibits to life. It has some sort of spell on it. Mm-hmm. Do we get any of that in the book? No. no. Uh, there's no real reason given. The One of the guards says that the animals like to stretch their legs at night. That's not a reason at all. That's just like a thing. It's just like a silly kid's book yeah. thing. Right, and that's what I kind of, here's the thing. That's what I would have expected. Yeah. I honestly would have thought that the book doesn't wouldn't feel the need to explain why the exhibits come to life. They yeah. just do because it's a kid's book. Yeah, that's kind of kid's book territory, yeah. right? Not really explaining the the magical elements. No, I mean, it doesn't need a, yeah, it doesn't need a, um, a back, or not even a backstory, but it doesn't need an explanation. It's just. Yes. Yeah. Well, kids don't care about the mechanics no, of it. No, no. It's for us dumb adults. Yeah. <laughs> Do the exhibits, if they escape the museum and get out, is there any repercussions if they're still outside at... Well, I guess I could start with this. Do they they only come to life at night? I assume because yes. it's called the night at the museum, yeah. so I'm assuming that's the case. Okay, if they, if they get outside the museum, is there any issue potentially? Nothing mentioned. Okay, because no. in the movie they turn to dust right. if they're outside when sun rises, which, again, is for stakes of... And his whole thing is... In the movie, the whole sort of point is that Ben Stiller has to make sure everything stays inside the museum Mm -hmm. or else it'll, yeah, get destroyed, basically. Um, All right. So, yeah, no no repercussions if things get out of the museum, at least not that we're aware of, because that's not really the point. Again, I can kind of imagine it's mostly like him just walking around interacting with things. Yeah. Yeah. That's what (laughs) I figured. Okay. Uh, final one for was that in the book? <laughs> I know the answer to this one. In the movie, the big uh, sort of plot is that mm-hmm. the bad, the the old guards that are being forced to retire are stealing the want to steal the uh, amulet or not amulet the, the tablet. tablet because it, uh, it along with bringing back or bringing all the exhibits to life, it also basically like brings youthful vigor to the mm-hmm. security guards. And so they're like, we want that because we're old and we want to keep being yeah. able to do backflips or whatever. Well, probably do. more than a little sour about getting let go. And also, yeah, they, but they say it's not really funny because it's not touched on as much in the movie as I thought it would yeah. be about like them being upset that they're like basically just being forced to retire because of like budget cuts, yeah. essentially. <laughs> but uh, so they they have this big elaborate, not elaborate, but they have this. They're going to steal the tablet. Is Well, the tablet's not in the book. So there is there. I, I guess I'll rephrase this now that I've learned more about the book. Is there any sort of drama or plot <laughs> like does anything happen at the end is there a climax of like oh this thing's happening gotta do something like 
the guards are doing. Uh, you know what I mean? Is anything no. like that? No. Um, there is this kind of weird bit where there's like a diamond mine under the museum that the guards take turns mining in all night. Um, what? But it's never explained or expanded on, so what? I don't really know what that's about. There's a diamond mine look in the... Show you. Yeah, show me this page. Look at that. Okay, I'm going to read it. But Larry did find another big bone. The guards in the park suggested... There are a lot of guards. Holy Jesus. <laughs> that he tried the mine below the Hall of Gems and Minerals. And of course, Larry couldn't refuse to bring a snack to the guards working there. I... And they, that's all that it talks about them. Yeah. And it, the were... picture is literally them mining diamonds and gold and sapphires from underneath the museum? Yeah. And bringing it on carts somewhere? Yeah. I'm very confused by this. And where this fits into the Museum of Natural History. <laughs> there is uh, something afoot. I think. I think the guards are... I feel like that's actually a pretty... I guess we'll talk about it, but that's a pretty interesting idea that this probably played into the whole guards taking treasures from the museum. I mean, yeah, that's where they got the idea. Or something, because it is this weird, like... It's just random. When you look at the picture, it could just be guards stealing gold and diamonds from underneath. Like, not even stealing, but, like, doing some weird, like... Like, on the side, like, DL thing that, like, only the guards know about this mine down there. Their side hustle. Because it says, try the mine below the Hall of Gems and Minerals. Yeah. But it doesn't say, like, it's part of the museum or anything. Yeah, it doesn't say that it's, like, an exhibit. Yeah, it's just, like, there's this mine down below the exhibit. Like, the exhibit is the Hall of Gems and Minerals. And I guess the idea is that they take these and bring them up. Now, hold on, but there is a sign here that says mine closed. Mine, like, up in what I would assume is the exhibit. So maybe you do, they do take people down into the mine. But either way, they're taking way more gems. Once you have the gems and gold up in the exhibit, you don't need, like, up to keep bringing more and more gold and gems up to the exhibit. That's true. So they're just clearly taking this and fencing this. Skimming the top. Yeah. See, that's an interesting idea. I wish that would show up in the, like, the sequel. <laughs> they find out, like, some more guard. Like, he finds out, like, the day guards or something, like, have this racket going on where they're <laughs> spending the, then coming in at night and, like, mining all the golden diamonds out from under the Museum of Natural History and selling it for themselves. Interesting. Well, okay. So, no old man heist in the movie. Because that's the whole thing. Um, I will post a picture of that. On yeah, we'll post media. that page. It's a very you interesting know. and seems kind of weird compared to everything else that's going on from yeah. what it will gather from the book. So. Yeah, it's just tucked in because everything else is him going to different exhibits, exhibits and stuff, yeah. and like interacting with what's there and doing yeah. like different tasks. Right. And then there's just oh, there's a mine under the museum. Yeah. Uh, and and now we're leaving the mine. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Cool. Moving on. All right, so yeah, uh, pretty much what I expected. Nothing, nothing was from that. I mean, again, it's the general idea mm-hmm. was what the book is, mm-hmm. and there's probably some other little specific things here and there that made it from book to film, probably uh, that I didn't pick up on or you know yeah. ask specifically about. But it is mostly fabricated for the film around the idea of the book. So that's it for was that in the book. Uh, we do not have a Lost in Adaptation this week because, again, it's I didn't have anything confusing. Mm-hmm. Like, the only one I was going to have was I didn't know if the movie, I had it written down, 
because I didn't know if the movie was going to address it about how the things came to life. Yeah. And if maybe that was in the book. But of course, the movie had way more information about, you know, actually had a, a, a machinations for how that happened right. as opposed to the book. So. Like you alluded to earlier, us crusty old adults need an explanation yeah. for that. Yeah, we can't just like yeah, and little kids don't care. It's a book for looking at animals walking around and whatnot. So, OK, so in that case, we're moving to better in the book. Yeah, I have two points here. Yes. So we're getting into our better segments, which is better in the book, better in the movie. And we're keeping a stay over from the Harry Potter series moving forward because we think it just makes sense. And we added it for Harry Potter and we're just going to keep it, which is the movie nailed it, uh, which is things that were obviously in the book, but that the movie also did well. Yes. Because we never really had a good place for that before. So that yeah, I, I like same. having that in between. Yeah, because yeah, there's obviously some things the movie does better. Some things the book does better. Sometimes they both do one thing. Right. OK, so better in the book. You like to read? Oh, yes. I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. Um. So first thing, there are more dinosaurs in the book. Oh. than just the T-Rex. Yes. So there are more that would like be fun. yeah dinosaur bones, and I'm like I don't mind just the T Rex, yeah, but it's you the made big, you know coolest one. yeah like a Triceratops would have been cool too, yeah, or like a or a pterodactyl yeah. swooping through would have yeah. been sweet, which I think I see on yeah, the cover. There's, one there's on a the pterodactyl, cover. a pterosaur of some sort. Yeah, yeah, that would be cool. Mm-hmm. I definitely could see a pterodactyl swooping around. And now again, there are sequels. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if yeah I think they go to different. Although, yeah, one of them's in the Smithsonian. I don't really remember. Well, because one of them's called Battle for the Smithsonian or something. So they're obviously in the Smithsonian for one of them. I don't know if that's the second or third, but right. So, yeah, more dinosaurs. I mean, you'll never convince or you'll never argue me out of more dinosaurs (laughs) in anything. So I really think that anything can be improved by adding more dinosaurs. So I agree. I completely agree. Um, and this, Jeff Goldblum uh, would disagree, but <laughs> I agree. The second thing that I have in this segment isn't really a better in the book. Um, it's just something that now rewatching the movie as like an older person that right. I'm kind of like, I don't know if that pans out. Right. Um, and I know that this would destroy the entire premise of the movie. But like, even with the financial woes that they talk about, I really feel like a museum this size wouldn't have just one night guard. No. It seems catastrophically irresponsible it does seem crazy to me especially since we know that the solid gold tablet is worth quite a bit of money yeah one of the guards says well and and all kinds of stuff yeah yeah to to be fair yeah because i guess most of the stuff probably isn't worth that much money generally speaking probably some artifacts some artifacts if you could fence it to the right right, person yeah you know say some weird black market yeah auction or something but we know that the tablet is worth but yes the tablet like any of that sort of old treasure stuff for sure would be worth money and you could probably find a buyer but yeah like you're not gonna sell stuffed lions and you know like mm-hmm. generally speaking you're not gonna probably not gonna make that much money selling that stuff so but yeah i would think you would yeah because i mean originally they had three night guards that right. we have, and it, it seems like that's a reasonable number but you would just probably force those guys to retire and then hire three young part-time and then not pay them anything yeah because you would think. You could because when you hired those old night guards you actually had to pay them a living wage and then they kept getting raises that you know live cost uh-huh. of living raises and now you can just hire some kid and like pay him nothing so probably get an intern yeah <laughs> 
capitalism. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I thought, eh, I'm not going to have one guard. That doesn't yeah. really make sense. Um, but as you could see in the book, there are many There's hundreds guards. of guards so. in the book, like just dozens and dozens, which to be fair, that may be a little excessive. <laughs> the number of guards <laughs> we see in the, just flipping through the pages of the books where they're just everywhere. But yeah, I, I okay, I agree. I mean, maybe the museum just pays them in gold and diamonds from the mines, so... There you go. They can have as many as they want. That's true. So, that's it for Better in the Book. Again, the book's too short to have that much more going on. There wasn't yeah. any, like, specific scene you wish you had gotten from... Nah. Oh, this is fun. I'm just flipped to a random page. He took the birds for a walk. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> he has birds tied to strings and is taking them for a walk in the park. That's interesting. That would have been fun to see. Let's do better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. Okay, so some of my better in the movies are like bigger kind of general things. Mm -hmm. um, other ones are little details that I liked. Yeah. Um, a big thing, I liked... Giving Larry a backstory. Yeah. Um, you know, he's got his son. Um, he's got kind of his personal history of never having been able to accomplish anything right. or like having trouble sticking with something. Um, I, I like that it gives him a reason to want to keep the job despite yeah. its many quirks. Chaos, yeah. And how <laughs> awful it would be. Yeah. 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 It does give him motivation to stick. You, you, it did. I did completely buy. Because, yeah, there's and he, he quits like numerous times. Or, I mean, I would, yeah. too. I'd be he, like, what the he is like, this? Actually, yeah, he's like straight up quits at least tw twice, I think. And then but, you know, he, every time kind of comes back or even gets fired and then convinces them to keep him on. Um, and you, you buy the reason is because of wanting to. There's all the setup with his kid, you know, mm -hmm. not telling him about career day because his dad's never really had a job. Yeah. Or, or it's not that he's not had a job, but he's sort of like a he comes up with an idea and then I'm like or he starts an idea yeah. and it doesn't really go he's, anywhere. Yeah, he's an then, idea guy and he can't uh, he doesn't ever see anything through. Yeah, he doesn't follow through on the any idea. Of it. And then there's it's not a huge element, but there's a little bit of like attention with like the stepdad yeah. who has like a good job. Right, he's like a day trader. Yeah. He's not. He's got some uh, bond trader or something. Something, something like something that. Something like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, the, the kid's like looking up to him. Yeah. So, yeah, you totally yeah. buy why he wants to stick it out and do this because he, he's like, yeah, at the end of his line, and just really wants his kid to be yeah. proud of him. Um, I really liked the scene with the T-Rex trying to drink water out of the water fountain. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous because, yeah, it obviously makes no sense. Yeah. It's just bones, <laughs> but it's fun. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I like the little the, the, the specific shot of him taking his claw off of the pedal of the mm -hmm. <laughs> drinking fountain. It's like, <laughs> it's great. It's pretty good. Uh, I also thought uh, it was a good change to have the T Rex play fetch like a dog. Yeah, um, it's cute. Instead of playing hide and seek. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe if they had done multiple dinosaurs, hide and seek would have been cute too. Yeah, um, but with just one. You need a way to have him interact with Larry that's obvious what's going what's on. What's going on, yeah. Yeah, and hide-and-seek can be cute because it's a giant dinosaur and he could never hide anywhere. Oh, that would have been You know adorable. what I mean? Like, it would just be yeah. shots of him trying to hide. Like, and it's just, standing like, his behind tail a pillar and yeah. his tail and his Yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, like it would be. It could be fun, but it would be a little tough to get across what. Yeah. I mean, they could have done it because they had that instruction booklet, which is where he kind of gets his bearings at first, where it's like throw the bone, you know, and he mm-hmm. figures out he wants to play fetch. You could have done something similar, like with the instructions and and that he plays hide and seek or whatever. But yeah, yeah, the the fetch was it made sense and it was fun. Um, the Hall of Miniatures is not in the book. With the the diorama. Oh, the dioramas. Um, I thought that was a great addition to the yeah. story. Yeah, it's cool. Um, and I I liked the Gulliver's Travels reference. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with it. I was just like very clearly a yeah, yeah Gulliver's Travels moment here. <laughs> um, there's a scene in the story where Larry goes to the library, and yeah. he does research to try and figure out how yeah, to, after how his to first keep night, a lid yeah. on everything. Um, he he bones up on his history. Yeah. Um, and I really liked that. Um, I th- I think that's a good message. Yeah. To like, hey, if you've got a problem, you can go do research on it. Yeah. See what you can find out. Maybe you can figure out how to solve it. I I completely agree. I had this in my general notes of just I thought it was really neat that the thing and and it, now it ends up kind of blowing up and not working out, but it, mm-hmm. it's still kind of works like it's it, it, it and, and ultimately when he does um at the very end to come up with some sort of solution it is because what the heck is it what does he do i don't remember but there is his research oh the horses yeah with the carriage yes. his and research works out really well right. for him his yeah yeah so he does all these things after after his first night where he he tries to bring fire to the cape you know like mm-hmm. he does all this research and kind of comes up with all these ideas and a lot of them don't end up working out but the research ultimately did matter and did end up working yes. out because his he remembers this piece of knowledge about the specific yeah. carriage and that these horses stopped because of a specific word or whatever. So I thought that, yeah, I thought it was really a fun idea and I thought it was a good message mm-hmm. that, yeah, you got a problem? Go, go read. Go read things <laughs> and learn about them. Hermione approved. Yeah, Hermione <laughs> approves of that. Uh, yeah. Can't get away from Harry Potter. <laughs> um. One moment that I thought was funny, I had forgotten about it and it made me laugh. Um, he has trouble talking to Sakagawea mm-hmm. um, because she's behind like a thick panel of glass so they can't hear each other. Yeah. Um, and then later on during the day, he kind of joins a tour group of kids. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the the woman, um, Rebecca. Yeah, the docent. Yes. Um, is giving the tour and she's talking about her and Larry asks if she was deaf. Yeah. <laughs> was she hard of hearing? She deaf? And she's just like, what? what are you talking about? Yeah. And all the kids is kind of looking at him. And he's like, is she not, was she hard of hearing? Yeah, because yeah, she couldn't hear him behind the glass and he would, he didn't understand why she couldn't hear him. Yeah. It was a very funny scene uh, when, yeah, when he interrupts the tour. And she walks over. It's like you—you you need to stop. I don't know what you're doing, but you must stop. Um. So we mentioned that there's no indication in the book that there are any like repercussions if the museum exhibits are outside right. when the sun comes right. up. Um. And of course, in the movie, the repercussions is that they'll just like poof, turn to dust. Yeah. Um, which we see. Yeah, one of the cavemen. Yeah, one of the cavemen turns to dust and then is immediately cleaned up by a street sweeper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I like that. I think it's good to have some stakes yeah. in this game. Yeah, especially because, yeah, otherwise it's like, well, why does it, why doesn't he just 
let them do whatever. Like, what yeah. is it like? What, like, does, what it does it matter? Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you, you got to keep them inside, or else if it all starts getting outside, it uh, you'll lose the entire exhibit, yeah. which is not not ideal, <laughs> or the entire museum. And a lot of stuff gets out near the end. Yeah, um, a lot of animals and and, and they, stuff they like kind that. of like hand wave clean that up i could not figure out what well, he, happened he, he gives he does the a tablet spell, to the pharaoh who does something with it that makes everything i come back. thought i missed something there of like what happened and why what did he do to make them all no, go back you didn't to the miss museum anything. they just kind of like he does a spell he, does a, he did a thing and they okay. all came back to the museum i i was like i had glanced over like to like mess with my notes or something like right after he said here and he gave him the the, the tablet and he said something and it glowed and then all of a sudden we're just all the animals were going to the museum i was like did i was i looking at my notes for that long like what happened why because he an ancient he, Egyptian he spell knows, does. He knows how the tablet works. Well, yeah, but why does that make them go back? I don't know. Man. All it does is bring them to li- oh, whatever. Yeah, I, I didn't really get that. But like I said, it was it was a hand wave. Yeah, it was like, well, we need everything back now, yeah. and we don't really want to stretch our story out right. trying to chase everything down. So. Yeah. So we'll just uh, yeah magic. Achman Ra or whatever his name yeah. is. On a similar note, as long as we're talking about adding stakes to the story, um, making the other guards into the villains. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I didn't see it coming either. Yeah, it's it's fun. Um, really, I thought there there were a couple. Well, when I say I didn't see it coming, I didn't see their motivations oh. and what they were actually going for uh-huh. coming. Now there was the, there's that very clear giveaway early where because what I thought it was, so they show the one guard stay behind. And make a copy of Ben Stiller's key. Yeah, and that's the most obvious. Right. And then you also get a cut-in insert shot of somebody, we assume one of the guards, putting some random trinkets mm-hmm. from the museum into, like, his apartment. Mm-hmm. But for me, what I figured it was, was they didn't want to lose their jobs. Oh. <laughs> and so they were like, we'll get him fired, and then they'll just have to keep us on. Yeah. So yeah. that was, like, the initial, like, what I thought the whole thing well i don't know i well because you know they just didn't want to be forced out of their job or something it was kind of what i i didn't expect at all because there was no indication to me that it made any sense that the tablet like gave them eternal youth <laughs> like that didn't wasn't something that thought popped into my head of what you know uh-huh. that would be a thing that happened so i just and then when they said that i was like oh okay i mean i guess that kind of makes sense yeah, sure like yeah. but i i wasn't that kind of took me by surprise so i wasn't expecting them to want to steal the tablet Mm-hmm. I guess I, I thought they had other kind of nefarious plans, but like sort of benign nefarious plans of like, we just want to keep our jobs. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, but yeah. Um, and actually in the book, the other guards aren't like the bad guys, but no. you do find out near the end that they didn't tell Larry about it on purpose because they were like playing a prank on him. Ah, yes. Um, so, it, you know, there's a, a little bit of that comes yeah. through. Yeah. And they're skimming a bunch of golden diamonds. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Out of the mind. Yeah. Um, I liked that um, they had a, a moment of Larry like being able to bring everyone together to save the museum. Yeah. It's a, it's a nice um, kind of climactic mm-hmm. moment with a good message. Yeah, generally speaking, yeah. Movie. Yeah, I thought so. I thought it was fun. And yeah, he just kind of gives a speech. Mm-hmm. Pulls everybody together, takes the hardest of stances that slavery is bad. <laughs> <laughs> I had slight problems with that scene. I don't know. Yeah, it, yeah, it was all right. It was good. Um, 
I do like the scene where Jed and Octavius let the air out of the tires. Yeah, it's a great scene. Van. That's... It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah, it's super good because it's yeah, you, it's it's that great juxtaposition of chaos and drama, and then it yeah. pulls to the wide shot and, and, and it's, it's the air coming out of the tires. <laughs> it's but, like nothing's happening. Yeah, yeah it's it's a good uh, kind of commentary on scope too of like, well, it was something you know, it's that similar thing. I like um. Uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids did that a lot, mm-hmm. too, where in the world uh, on the micro scale, it's like the sprinkler going off is like a catastrophic yeah, it's event. Yeah, like life and death. But then it cuts back to the, you know, our scale of the world, and it's just like like a sprinkler going, you know, it's like super boring. But anyway, yeah, that's always fun. It did remind me a lot in particular of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids when that happened, which is one of my favorite movies when I was a kid, so... Um, and a big general thing, I, I liked the wrap up of like everything that happened actually ended up helping the museum. Yeah. Like they have this whole climax and all this stuff happens and it seems like it's going to be kind of bad, but then it actually like the museum is hopping the next day. Right. And it's basically like a viral there. marketing campaign. Yeah. So like with like the, the dinosaur footprints, I will say my problem with that. Was that it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. No, no, no. I mean, well, well, well let me explain why I, why I think it doesn't make sense. What I mean by that is the thing that doesn't make sense. It makes sense to me that more people would come if, you know, was seeing all this random because they show the news and there's cave paintings in the subway and there's mm-hmm. dinosaur footprints in the park and there's cavemen on the roof of the library, whatever. Like, I get the idea that the news reporting on this and people seeing all that stuff would drum up more interest to go to the museum. Like, sure. Like, yeah, it's like an interesting viral marketing campaign. Mm -hmm. The thing that's weird to me is that Ricky Gervais's character, the director of the museum calls him into his office. She shows him the news and goes, do you have anything to say for yourself? And I'm like, what? I need the movie to explain to me what Ricky Gervais (laughs) thinks. Yeah. Right. Ben Stiller did. (laughs) That's what I want to know. <laughs> what is the move? What is Ricky Gervais's character think Ben Stiller did? And why is he fired? <laughs> because from point. our understanding, Ricky Gervais does not know that the creep that the exhibits come to life. That's not yeah. a thing that he's aware of. Yeah. So does he think Ben Stiller alone like Took all the like. What does he think? He I don't understand what that what that scene's supposed to portray that he's being fired for, <laughs> for bringing the Ricky Gervais think he like went and spray like I just I don't get it. I don't get what he's supposed to have done, and like it's just very confusing to me why he's in trouble, because it's not even that the museum was wrecked. Mm-hmm. It's that all of these things happened out in the world, and I'm like, but that's not. I don't, I mean, maybe the idea is we're supposed to think that Ricky Gervais thinks that, like, uh, he let other people in, that, like, had a fun party with all the stuff and, like, like, took it outside outside. and played with it. I guess. That's, or, like, people, yeah. I mean, that's the most reasonable explanation. But here's the thing that's crazy to me. All of the exhibits are back and in the normal. I mean, yeah, it all came back. It's all in the museum (laughs) where it should be. So, and, and I don't know. It was very confusing to me. I mean, <laughs> you still wouldn't want your night guard doing that. Right. I get that. I guess my point is, so even buying that explanation that he thinks he like let 
people come in and party and take it around the city and like fucking make dinosaur. Fu- I, I'm assuming he thinks that he like took they let people take stuff out of the museum. That then begs the question, how does he, so he thinks that happened, but that also all those people brought everything back and put it all back together exactly right in all the exhibits? Maybe he's just not that smart. I don't know. Like, that was the one part of the movie that had, I'm like, and I'm not trying to, like, plot hole the movie. I'm just like, wait, what is, I just, because the movie was so unclear to me about what he thought Ben Stiller did. And now... I, especially because he shows all the new things. If he had been like came in and because we know that at the end of that, there was all that trash everywhere still like, yeah. And it was like the inside was wrecked. If that was the thing, if he came in and was like walked in, if he walked in in the morning and all that trash is everywhere and Ben Stiller standing there, like right after Ben Stiller's looking down and starts picking up some trash, Ricky Gervais walks in, looks at him and goes, you got anything to explain yourself? And he goes, no. And then he goes, all right, you're fu-. like that, yeah. you know? Yeah. But then it doesn't make sense for the little twist where everybody shows up and he's like, well, you get to keep your job. Then I just think that end conceit doesn't add up <laughs> like that end little moment of like, because then he lets him keep his job mm-hmm. because all these people came, which means the reason he fired him was because of all this stuff out in the world, not because there was like trash everywhere in the museum. You know what I mean? Because. Yeah. If the reason he was fired was for all the trash and stuff, that doesn't change by having more people. That's true. Be at your museum. I that don't the know fact that he, I, I, the end of this movie, <laughs> literally makes no sense. I, I that that part is. I, I I was just so confused at what happened at the end. It was didn't get it. But yeah, I, it is a nice little moment where he, yeah yeah. He got more people to the museum. And that was something I think I don't think I mentioned in the prequel episode is that the Museum of Natural History saw like a 20 percent increase in Mm, foot traffic like the weekend after this movie came out or something like that. So seven for better in the movie. All right. So then uh, the movie nailed it. Yeah, I have one. One thing for the movie movie nailed it. Perfect. Nailed it. There's this, this is a scene in the book, and it's a scene in the movie, and it translates almost exactly. Um, and that is Larry falling asleep on the job and then waking up to see that the T-Rex is gone. Oh. Yeah, that's a, that's a fun moment in the movie where he just wakes up and, yeah. like, he's walking past the T-Rex plinth and then stops and turns around and is like, wait a second. There you yeah, go. There when is. Larry woke up, he couldn't believe his eyes. The dinosaur skeleton had disappeared. All that was left was a single bone. Why was a single bone left? It's it, it's like a clue, and he finds bones throughout uh, the museum. Oh, like they're falling off it or something. Well, yeah, while he's like searching for them. Gotcha. Well, there you go. And see, I think that also might probably that single bone thing might have been where they kind of drew the inspiration from for yeah, the fetch for thing, where he gets fetch. the one bone with his own rib. With his own rib, yeah, which is <laughs> weird, but fun. All right, so the movie nailed the reveal of the dinosaur mm-hmm. being gone. Uh, then we just have some general discussion, right? And then yeah. we're going to get to the uh, fina- uh, the final verdict. Final verdict, yeah. that's it. So let's do some general stuff. Um, Paul Rudd is in this movie. Yeah, I, I had, I no had idea. forgotten Paul Rudd was in this He's movie. He's in it for two scenes, yeah. I think. Um, Paul Rudd just the best at playing a tool yeah 
Yeah, in that scene where he's first introduced, he walks out with all the shit on his belt. Yeah, he's got like three cell like phones. Three cell phones. To his belt. And he's just he's playing uh, Bobby Newport basically. He's like yeah. kind of an idiot, kind of a tool, but also slightly well-meaning. Because there's also the scene later with him in this movie where he brings Bobby or not Bobby <laughs> Nick <laughs> the kid uh, Ben Stiller's kid to the museum. And actually says like is actually being nice like he's yeah. being like, like he's reasonably not, like, cordial he's not an asshole mean or, or an asshole yeah. he's, he's just, not like see your dad's a fucking idiot or you know he's not like that but he is like just a tool yeah, he's like just kind of a tool kind of a tool in the same way Bobby Newport is just kind of a tool even though he's like kind of sweet sometimes yeah, and like, yeah it's, it's basically the same type of character and and Paul Rudd does it better than anybody. Oh, uh, you know what else I had forgotten about? The creepy faceless Civil War dummies. Yeah, those are those Just are creepy. creepy as hell. Yeah. Yeah. They're very, <laughs> very weird. Like you gave everything else a face. Yeah. But not the Civil War dummies. My thought might have been that they didn't want that wouldn't make sense. Yeah, I don't know. Uh yeah, I they, yeah, they don't. They're just like dummies. Yeah. They're kind of creepy. They look cool. So the movie doesn't pronounce the the Sacagawea, Sacagawea, how right. you do. So I did some further research. Because <laughs> the movie, the conflict is between Sacagawea and Sacagawea, and you say right. Sacagawea. Now, okay. Or Sacagawea. Hold on to your hat. I'm holding on to my hat. Because I'm about to Holy shit. you. I see so many notes here. I did not notice this. That's because I told you not to I know, them. and I didn't, but I, I didn't, yeah. All right, so I did a little bit of further research, although I'm going to preface this by saying that I am hardly an expert. Mm -hmm. I did not do extensive research. Not extensive research. So some of this might not be 100% accurate. Um, Further complicated by the fact that there's not a ton of reliable information out there about her. Okay, so everything that I found, uh, the way a Wea wasn't even so like, that's not even that the... was like everything that I found that wasn't even a thing. <laughs> um, yeah. So okay. So her name, as we know it, comes from a word that I'm probably going to mispronounce. Yes. Hidatse, which is an endangered Suan language that's related to Crow language. Okay. Um, so because the language is endangered and old, um, and because the sources are old and exclusively text-based, uh, we don't know, we don't have a good idea of how it would have been pronounced. Um, we do know that it means bird woman. Huh. Um, and while that etymology has long been considered pretty indisputable, um, there is controversy surrounding the correct spelling and the correct pronunciation. Okay. Um, so part of that is because a lot of what we know about her comes from Lewis and Clark's journals. Right. Um, so it's coming through this filter of white men yeah. who spoke English. <laughs> yeah, English white men. Yeah. Um, and they would have been writing her name down phonetically right. as they heard it as English speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also spelled it 17 different ways throughout their journals. Um, fun That's fact. a fun fact. Yeah. That is actually a fun fact. Um, another part of the reason that English speakers kind of struggle with her name is because unlike our native tongue, um, Hidatse is a pitch accent language that doesn't hmm. have stress. 
Um, so whereas we want to put stress on specific syllables in mm-hmm. a monosyllabic word, mm-hmm. um, her name would have no stressed syllables in it. And I don't even know how to, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. I don't even know um, how to do that. Assimilate, you know, it, it's just not part of our right, language. Right, right. A similar concept to how like there's no L or R sound right. in Japanese. Right. So a native speaker of Japanese struggles with those sounds in English a little yeah. bit because it's just not part of their native tongue. Yeah. Or even a, 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 a a reference made in this movie certain languages having like clicks and like mouth sounds in, mm-hmm. in, in, in the vocabulary that's like not remotely something that yeah sort of it, like dr- it's, uh, it's not remotely even like a thing you're used to yeah, doing they're like with Latin your mouth based or languages your and that yeah. sort of things just don't do so so what I have here is a little bit of information on three common pronunciations and spellings of her name um, so Sakagawea Okay. Um, this is the relative spelling and pronunciation that we know from Lewis and Clark's journals. Okay. Um, it's also what's used by the U.S. government and by a large number of historical scholars. All right. Sakakawea. There you go. Um, Sakakawea. This is more close to what it might have been in the Haidatse language um, hmm. when we account that we know her name meant bird woman. Right. Because we have... Sakaka meaning bird, okay. and then wea or wea meaning right. woman, um, and this is the one that's most often accepted by specialists. Okay, um, so people who specialize in the study. Okay, of... so the difference there being the K versus G, right? In the third syllable, or second syllable, whatever. Yes. Um, Sakajuia. And the one that we most recognize. Yeah, the one you are, the most people yeah. were taught in like elementary school yes. and like sort of the normalized. So here's where it gets really interesting because I did not know this. I did not find this out before we recorded the prequel. Okay. This shocked me. This name, variant on her name, is derived from Shoshone, not Hidatse. Okay. Um, the argument for using this name is that she was Shoshone, but she was kidnapped by the Haidatse, and then who then sold her to Charbonneau, her French trapper husband. Right. Yeah, yeah. Husband in quotation yeah, yeah. marks. Yeah, husband. Uh, giant air quotes around yeah. husband there. Um, now the her argument. Rapist. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the her slaver and rapist. Yeah. Yes. Um, the the argument against any of this. Is that it might not have been her real name at all. <laughs> because when the Haidatse kidnapped her, they may they have given her, her a new name. Oh, her real name might be lost, lost to, to history. history. Well, there you go. So there's a really fun fact for you, everyone. That's not a fun fact. That's yeah. a sad fact. <laughs> it's a really depressing fact. It's a sad fact. Um but there you go. That's what that is. You know, what's also really interesting is that none of this was mentioned in the movie when the one of the main characters was supposedly doing yeah. her PhD work on this person. Yeah. <laughs> and she didn't know any of this. But she does correct Sacagawea to Sacagawea, I think, at one point. Or no. Yeah. Sacagawea to Sacagawea. Yeah. And, but no, never calls him her Sakagawea or Sakakawea. Yeah. Never that. 
So, right. So, like, the Wea Wea thing, I literally did not come up in the stuff that I was looking at. Interesting. All of the pronunciations had that long E at the end, like the E in fleece. Sakaka Wea. Yeah. Sakaka Wea. Okay. Yeah, but the movie didn't, yeah. Yeah. Which doesn't really surprise Um, me. But now you've all been educated, you're welcome. That was fun. That was the most... (laughs) I've learned about that ever, so which is unfortunate. But I know because the only thing you ever learn in school is that she was really cool and she had a baby on her back. She had a baby and she showed him around of this, the new world. And yeah. the whole time she was probably like, "This is fucking this bullshit. Is bullshit. This is bullshit. <laughs> this, is bullshit. <laughs> this is bullshit." There you go. Uh, all right. What else okay. you got? Um, I want to talk a little bit about the fact that they don't let the pharaoh out of the sarcophagus mm-hmm. until this movie. Yeah, that's weird. Which means that they effectively allowed him to be buried alive every single night for, for decades. Decades. That's that is wild. Dark. I didn't think and about scary. that. Scary. Well, that's why he's freaking the fuck yeah, out. I'd freak out too. That's wild. Yeah, why and why didn't they? I don't know. They say like he says something in the beginning when he sees the sarcophagus and like it's banging and making noise. Yeah. He's like that's the that's the pharaoh. The pharaoh, but he doesn't say why they don't let him out, I guess. I mean, maybe the idea is as simple as mummy equals scary. Right, and 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 all they can hear is him screaming and banging. And yeah. Like, that doesn't sound good. Or maybe we're supposed to surmise that the old guards know that he can use the tablet. Oh, uh, maybe, And yeah. don't want to let him out because of that. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that he'll, like, take it and do something. Yeah, that yeah. could be. That could be. Um, but also, let's talk about the best plot twist of my young life. <laughs> Rami Malek. Oh, my God. I had such a crush on him. Yeah. I just, the best thing ever. And the mummy comes out, and it's like, you're like, oh, he's going to be it's scary like an and mummy, ugly. Yeah. and. And like all shriveled up. And then it's the cutest boy ever. <laughs> he's very pretty. He's a very pretty man. Um, yeah. No, I, yeah, he's very pretty. Uh, and his first movie. So yeah. it was a, even more of a surprise. You're like, who is this <laughs> beautiful, beautiful man? I don't necessarily mind the romantic kind of subplot with Larry and Rebecca. Oh, yeah. Um, That's not the romantic subplot I had a problem with. I just want to mention it. (laughs) I I don't mind it, but I did kind of feel like it was unnecessary. Yeah. Like, there's already a lot going on in this movie. They also don't dwell on it very much. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It is. If they had dwelled on it more, it would have been maybe more of an issue, but... Yeah, I mean, she's not even in... She's in the beginning of the movie and then doesn't show up again until late in act three i feel like mm-hmm. well she's like kind of once in the middle when he tells her about it and she's like you're crazy but yeah yeah i thought it was fine um okay so i want to go back to what we talked about in the prequel which is which was um oh the the, the por- portraying portraying historical historical figures, figures. Yeah. fictionalizing historical yes, fictionalizing figures. historical figures um so i i talked a little bit in that episode about um attila the hun being like easily tricked impressed by magic that potentially being problematic um i'm willing to see that there might have been some historical ground to see that that was what made it slightly less to me is that if it was i i I don't even know if that's true yeah i I tried to look it up and i i died but the idea in the movie is that he ben stiller does the research and finds out that attila the hun was very into like mysticism and magic Mm -hmm. and and like always had like a some sort of magician not that's not the right word but like you know some yeah. sort of magician around him to like 
do magic for yeah. him because he was super into it and like blown away by it. Um, and I had forgotten about that element yeah. in the movie. So if that's true, I'm willing to see that there's a little bit of ground there. Yeah. However, I do think it's an issue that he's portrayed as being very childlike. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's yeah. It is. It is an issue. I think the, they would do because the, they do the same thing with the the cavemen. I feel like that's mm-hmm. just sort of like the generic like n- out of time period like yeah, yeah. seeing something. I I I, I don't want to say it's not problematic, but I th- I think the idea is that it's like more of a like yeah you're you're out of well removed from sort of the time period and and this reality that you would understand and so you kind of revert to like this like childlike wonder and like right uh, and it, it is i think difficult to imagine how somebody would literally respond yeah in that case because we don't have any frame of reference yeah, for it right and also with it being a comedic kids movie yeah that's like the easy sort of way direction to take that mm-hmm. for laughs is like who this person from a thousand years ago is like what yeah, yeah which again who knows how they would act um and then you had a note about the uh the miniatures and the dioramas oh i thought that was similar. a little weird but now it ends up kind of they go both two ways with it so i had a note that is, i thought it was a little interesting a little problematic that the is it the incans or the my now i can't remember shit and that's Shitty already. <laughs> I think it's the Incans. I think it was the Incans. Um, uh, they they were, they shoot him with darts and stuff at one mm-hmm. point. Uh, and so the next night when he comes in, he locks, he puts, he shuts the door on their display so they can't yeah. get out or whatever because they shot him with arrows the first night. And I'm like, and then but but then he comes over to the Romans and the. Wet American slash it's also a bunch of Chinese immigrant slaves. Yeah, it's the, the um, yeah it's the railroad. It's yeah, the, the transcontinental railroad. Transcontinental railroad. So there's a bunch of which yeah, was built mostly by Chinese, Chinese immigrants. Americans and immigrants. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so he's talking to them, and he but he lets them out. He's like, "Look, I'm gonna let you guys stay out, even though they also attacked him last night." Yeah. <laughs> so I thought it was a little weird that he locks up sort of the white or doesn't lock up sort of the white quote unquote and again they're Roman mm-hmm. they're not white but, but and, and the Americans and it's like I'm gonna trust you guys to not yeah. ruin everything but locks up the the Central Amer- or Southern American Central American shit, I guess um, you could make the argument that their weapons seem to work true whereas we see jed try to fire the gun it does and not it work. doesn't work yeah and and the arrows not only worked but they also like had some sort of poison that was yeah, like numbing that, like, his made face his lip numb yeah so i t- fair and also i'll give the movie this is that it ends up backfiring like mm-hmm. he leaves them out and then they just go to war and yeah. fucking destroy everything anyway so he wasn't right to trust them more than anybody else you yeah. know, to the movie's credit in that regard, still felt a little weird. I was like, <laughs> all right. But yeah, yeah, no, all of those are potentially mitigating factors. I don't take that into account. I, I, I just thought it was kind of interesting. But yeah, it, it does yeah. blow up in his face. Um, so I did like that they uh, kind of highlighted the similarities between America and the Roman Empire. Yeah. Because there uh, are some similarities. Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that whole scene is kind of fun where they're both trying to blow through the wall yeah. and With expand. The expander, we die. Yeah, yeah. Kind yeah, of okay. manifest destiny yeah. type thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which obviously, yeah. 
Um, did you want to talk about um, Teddy, Roosevelt? Teddy Roosevelt? Yeah, that was my last notes that I had because they're, <laughs> that was interesting. And we talked about it in the prequel uh, a fair amount. Um, the, sort of the problems with fictionalizing Teddy Roosevelt because he had a lot of mm-hmm. he had positive issues or um, traits and negative traits as every person does. Yeah. Um, but it becomes much more there's a lot more to it when it's somebody who has a, a great sphere of influence in the world. And then when you take a historic, historical figure like that and, like you said, fictionalize them. And then in this instance, they pretty much only chose to kind of talk about his positive traits. Yeah. Being sort of his spirit, mm-hmm. like his bravery and his, you know, gumption. his gumption, that sort of thing. Sort of like generic, like, yeah, good yeah. traits um, and never touch on any of the other stuff. They just sort of whitewash away all that stuff. And then on top of that, it's a, it seems like a poor choice to have him be the character that falls in love with Sakagawea because historically Teddy Roosevelt was not a big fan of native Americans calling them savages at points. I, from what I had read, I don't know all of the details of it, but I was going through some notes and some some information about the movie and people had said that mentioned mm-hmm. that about it before that it's a little weird that Teddy Roosevelt's character is the one. And again, now we also will see this, as you mentioned before, that the the movie gets to hand wave it away. He's a wax figure of yeah. Teddy Roosevelt. And he's he said he Teddy says Roosevelt. that in the movie. He's like, I'm not Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. I'm a wax figure. Right. So they basically let but it is still whitewashing in yes. the sense of just getting rid of all of the negative things uh, sort of related to that and just kind of keeping his like good old boy yeah. gumption traits. And regardless of whether or not they get to wave it away like that, that's still what we see yeah. as an audience. Right. We still see Teddy yeah, all Roosevelt. All we see is Teddy Roosevelt, the yeah. hero, and the the man who loves Native Americans. And and that's what makes it even weirder. Or at like at least if you, one Native American. At least one. And now, to be fair, you can still be fucking racist and yeah. and love a, a person of whatever minority you generally hate. I, that's There's a whole other bag of worms with that. I'm just saying that... It would, if you're gonna even, it would be even one thing just to whitewash him and have him be like this generic like, I'm I'm Teddy Roosevelt. I'm brave, yeah. and I will teach you how to be brave too. Yeah, and then but not include this subplot where he's like, because that that not only just ignores all of his negative traits, it takes one of his known negative traits and and pretends that it didn't exist yeah. at all. Like yeah. that, it's like. Oh, he's look. He's likes this Native American. He's really like into her. And again, disregarding the other thing I said about sort of the fetishization versus whatever. Blah blah blah. But like, just that was like, ah, it felt yeah. really gross. And then, but the thing that capped it off to me, and I couldn't decide if the movie was self aware about this or not. I really don't know. And it could have been. It could have not been. I honestly don't know uh, because it's 2006, and it's a little bit before sort of the. It's a little bit before this word was used it's this way. It's before this word was used this way, and it's also before sort of the woke revolution. Like, yeah. It, it's before people, like, when you watch movies, like, pre-2008, 2010, or, or just media in general pre-that, mm-hmm. it's still where things kind of, there's lots of stuff where you're like, ooh, that's not the yeah. best, you know. Um, it's just because we've just learned a lot and grown a lot in the, in the intervening 10 or 15 years. But there was a line where... He uh, oh he saves Sak- Sakakawea from Wea from the cart from the uh-huh. the wagon. He dives and pushes her out of the way, saves her. In the process, he gets run over by the cart, and 
we, he doesn't realize this yet, but she says, you saved me to him as they're, she's laying there next to him and he's laying there with her. He goes, you say, she goes, you saved me. And Teddy Roosevelt says to her, you're worth saving. Mm-hmm. Teddy Roosevelt says to the Native American character, you're worth saving. And then immediately after that, he looks down and sees that a, the, the wagon wheel had split him in half. Yes. And says, that's problematic. And I was like, that was it. I don't know if that was on purpose or not. And again, you're probably right that it probably wasn't. Yeah. Because I don't think the word was really in use that yeah, way. I don't think it had that connotation yet. Not yet. Not generally. But <laughs> it was like, because I, I was like what I said when he goes, she's like, you saved me. And he goes, you're worth saving. I was like, that's problematic. And he goes, that's problematic. And I was like, wait a second. What is happening? <laughs> Like, it just, it felt too on the nose and too perfect not to be self-aware, but I'm also thinking it probably wasn't. Yeah. Like, and now I do, like, Tom and Lennon and the writers, the two writers of this movie are pretty, like, progressive, like, socially minded people in general. Mm -hmm. Like, again, they're comedians trying to push the edge for a laugh and that sort of thing. But, like, they're also generally speaking pretty progressive people from what I've understood and and listened to them on podcasts and that sort of thing. So they may... Have been going for that. That mm-hmm. may have been the joke there. That may have been the point. I'm going to look at it retrospect. Uh, Death of the author. I, <laughs> I'm just going to take it and go with it. That that is a brilliant moment of this film yeah. and sort of a brilliant moment of meta commentary, whether or not the movie realized it. And I, I, I hope so. And I, I do like reading it like that because it, the whole thing is is problematic. Oh yeah. I, and I am glad that you brought up like fetish fetishization yeah it's a tough word to say (laughs) i know it is um because that is what it is yeah he doesn't know her doesn't know her he's just been like watching her through his binoculars for decades like never spoke to her never nothing about her which is again that's a sort of its own uh, problem Mm -hmm. yeah that is problematic commentary on 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 sort of romantic yeah relationships and how they began and who you know why you like people that all that sort of stuff but yeah yeah it's tropes it's it's kind Mm -hmm. of outdated shitty tropes but yeah that moment i thought was perfect whether or not it meant to be (laughs) (laughs) so time for the final verdict yeah let's do it now uh, are you ready for your sentence sentence but there must be a verdict first sentence first Verdict afterward. I'm going to give it to the movie. Yeah. Um, the book is cute. Yeah, it is. It's like, yeah, um, if, it. if you've got a kid, I would recommend going out and getting this book, reading uh-huh. it with your kid. It's adorable. Yeah. Um, the art is really cute. It's a fun story. Uh-huh. Um, but there's not a whole lot to it. Not a lot to it, yeah. Um, and I, I think the this movie... has happened a lot with the kids' books. It's, yes, you know, you're taking a little tiny thing, and you're it's same with short stories, even to some yeah. extent. A lot of this times. one is it's similar to like where the wild things are, or even way back to when we did the birds. Yeah, where they took that central concept of everything at the museum comes to life at right. night, and then they just like built on it and built on it and yeah. built on it. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's what I thought it would be, and that does not surprise me that uh, that you prefer or that you think the movie is slightly better. Again, they're doing different things, but yes. I thought it was a pretty good movie. Uh, again, uh, all of its problematic elements aside, it was funny at times. It was uh, some of the humor was a little 
it's dated. Juvenile yeah. and dated. Like, and like, you know, it's like, I don't need to watch a man and a monkey slap each other for like 45 straight seconds. <laughs> like, it was funny, like, a couple times. And yeah. then, like, it's, you know, there are some moments like that where I'm like, eh, all right, you know. It's 2006. Okay, it's 2006. It's a little dated, but mm-hmm. it's still overall, it's pretty funny. It had some good messages here and there, mm-hmm. uh, especially with, um, I, I thought it was very refreshing to some extent that the, as much of a tool as Paul Rudd's character kind of is, he's not like an asshole. Like yeah, I thought that was kind of the, interesting. The typical asshole stepfather who's out to of, like yeah. ruin the relationship of the actual father, you yeah. know, and whatever. Um, or and even the, like his ex-wife wasn't like she was no, totally yeah. supportive yeah, totally, of him. Yeah, and, there, yeah, that relation, that whole relationship between all three of them felt very adult and reasonable, yeah. and was kind of interesting, and, like, kind of free of those. Very tiresome tropes. Yeah, as many tropes as there were yeah. in this movie, that wasn't some of them. Yes. There, there's easy for that to go that direction, and they didn't go that direction. So there's stuff like that that I thought was was kind of good and fun, and and you know you learn some stuff kind of. Eh. If not, if you don't learn anything, at least the movie tells you you should learn things. Yeah. So that's good. <laughs> but now we know how to stop the Pony Express. Yeah, Dakota. So, you Dakota. Just yell Dakota yeah. at the horses. I'm going to try that when I go play Red Dead Redemption <laughs> 2 later. I'm just going to try yelling Dakota into my microphone and seeing if horse wagons stop. Probably will not. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of This Film is Lit. Katie, what is our Christmas, actual Christmas episode in two weeks going to be? Our actual Christmas episode is going to be about a book called In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash. Yep. Which was adapted in part into a movie that you might know as A Christmas Story. It's my favorite Christmas movie. And I did know that this was based on a book, but I had forgotten for a long time. But I was aware uh, I had forgotten. And we had something else planned for Christmas. And then this we was randomly on the other night. And you were like, it was based on a book. And I was like, oh, that's right. Why are we should do this? And now the other one we had planned was a good one that people are going to want to yeah. hear about at some point. We'll do it next year. But uh, yeah, A Christmas Story. I'm super psyched because, again, it's my favorite Christmas movie mm-hmm. for me. It's just it, I just I I watch it every year. I watch it numerous times a year. Usually it was the one when, we, when the 24 hours was on. I would just sit on at my house at our house yeah. when I was a kid. Um, it is, yeah, it's my Christmas movie. So I'm super excited to, to see how it translated. And now I think I could be, we'll get into it in the prequel episode, but I think the author of the book was involved in the adaptation maybe. Um, he's the narrator. He narrates yeah, it. He narrates so he was at least involved in it. Yeah. Anyways. Um, and I, and I'm interested too, because I've seen yeah, the Gene whole Shepherd, movie. Right? Yeah. yeah. But I honestly don't know if I've ever seen it like beginning to end in one sit down. <laughs> I have a bunch of times, but yeah, because it is on one yeah, of those movies. You it's just, just you, it's on, you watch because it's a lot of, uh, which I sure is going to translate from the short story. It's a lot of, uh, vignettes sort mm-hmm. of, of yes. little moments there. There's a through line plot in the movie, but there's a lot of little scenes yes. that are, you can just watch five minutes of and get that little scene, you know, the, yeah, the, the, which the mall it, Santa, the, yeah, it's great for it, 24 yeah, hours. It makes it really good for a 24 hour marathon. Yeah. You kick it on, you catch 10 minutes and it's hilarious that 10 minutes and you know, you don't have to see how, you know what happens. And yeah. this, the plots are kind of secondary to the characters and the vignettes and the moments in it. So yeah, uh, we'll look forward to that in two weeks. Uh, and next week is our prequel episode where we're going to talk about, Using voiceover narrators in movies. Use voice using voiceover narrators in movies. Because uh, I feel like there are really specific times when that works. Yep, and this is one of them. Yep. 
So and if it doesn't work, it really doesn't work. It does not, and we'll talk about those as well. So yeah, the voiceover narrators in movies, or narration in movies, is the prequel topic, along with our preview of A Christmas Story, and then in two weeks, we're doing A Christmas Story for Christmas. Yay. Until that time, you can rate and review us on all this, uh, well, on social media platforms, but also on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. I don't know if you can rate and review on Spotify, but we're on Spotify, anywhere you download the podcast. Check us out on all social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, Goodreads. I think that's all of them. Mm -hmm. And until next time, keep reading books, keep watching movies, and keep being awesome. Bye.